Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined today by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. And uh, based off of last week's show, let me start by saying you and I are not the Bucky haters in the group. <laughs> that, that is correct. Mr. Anti-Bucky uh, is uh, also joining us this week. But there are some Evan. similarities, though. Yeah, well, you know, what, what can you say? Uh, hi, Evan. Grant. Yeah, I'm- and I understand that you uh, you were on the road and uh, maybe uh, stopped at a, at a Bucky's. Yeah, I stopped at a Bucky's. It's not like I sat in the pews there and worshipped at the Beaver. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Bucky's just fine. Like I said, they have beautiful bathrooms. Beautiful. Did you take a selfie? Did you take a selfie of you and the Beaver? No, I did not. I started to, but I just couldn't. We were too big to fit in one frame. Um. I, I like the bathrooms there. I like the soda machine. Um, <laughs> I like. Uh, we, should, we should point out the soda machine is not in the bathroom at Bucky's. No, I think we should no. point that out. Um, and I like I like the roasted nuts. I, I like a good roasted nut. Um, they had some cinnamon roasted. Uh, oh, those are good. Yeah, those are I, good. I got some of those, but I didn't. I didn't feel the need to on the way back home from Houston. Um, stop and pick up a, a pellet smoker and shove it into my car. Nor did I feel the need to buy a, a, a tray full of kolaches. I, I it was all good. So your objection to this place is that it just has a lot of stuff, and that really bothers you. No, I have no objection to it whatsoever. I also don't consider it to be um, a religious pilgrimage. <laughs> Listen, have you noticed that in a lot of these places, like Madisonville, uh, which is, I'm sure, the Bucky's that you're maybe No, you're talking I didn't about. stop it in Madisonville. Okay, well, uh, that this is really all they got going on there, okay? Roy City, Madisonville, Melissa. Roy City, I'm going to make sure to mention this to Taylor Hearn to, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you can tell Taylor Hearn that all you want. He knows that's true. That's that, you know, he's, well, he's not, is he still living in Roy City? Uh, no, I think he's living in Dallas. Yeah, see? Okay. Okay. You you're you're so dismissive of Bucky's. Let me throw something else out at you. Whataburger. I'm not dismissive of Whataburger. Now, I will not engage in the Whataburger versus In and Out debate because there's no winning that. Even though In and Out is better. Oh no, it is not. See now, now, now you're being dismissive of Whataburger. So you went after Bucky's, and now it's Whataburger. Absolutely. 
Okay. Oh, we, we've, we've chased this beaver as far as it needs to go down the trail. Let's let's move on with uh, the stuff that really uh, the people are here. I'm for. sorry. Did and you so, just say chase those? I'm just not even going to go there. Yeah, just leave that. Uh, leave that alone. Uh, so uh, now we're going to talk about uh, the Mavericks. I, so it seemed like something happened last week over there in the Mavericks offices. Yeah, something I, happened. I can't imagine. I got to tell you, I can't imagine what it was that uh that donnie nelson said about bob vulgaris that rose to the level of him getting fired by mark cuban uh i i just i know donnie a little bit uh and uh and he has always been very careful extremely careful about doing anything that would get him in uh hot water with mark cuban but apparently it just rose to a level uh and bob vulgaris's uh rise sudden rise fairly sudden rise in the organization, which uh, offended several people. And so that led to the dismissal of Donnie Nelson as general manager, which led to the walk of Rick Carlisle as a head coach. Um, and who knows what happens after that. So where the Mavericks are now is that they are for the first time in a long time, looking for a, both a coach and a general manager um, and leads to lots of speculation as to who those guys might be. Uh, and I got to tell you right now, uh, David, I don't know who they might, uh, have in mind at this point, other than, you know, promoting people from within the organization. Well, it's not just who they have in mind. It would be from a general manager perspective. Would you come in here and work under this in the way this is structured? And, and I will say, in fact, Kevin, I, I think maybe you've used his line through the years and it's kind of come a, uh, a comical line with the Cowboys, which is maybe Jerry Jones, the owner, should fire Jerry Jones, the general manager. Well, I'm not so sure that that doesn't apply more so to the Mavericks than it actually does uh, the Cowboys. Um, because while Donnie Nelson was the general manager in in title, is there really any question who the general manager of the Mavericks is? Uh, it's always been Mark Cuban. He's always inserted himself uh, into personnel decisions much more than Jerry Jones has uh, in recent years. And um, and I'm struck, too. I, I think this would drive Mark crazy. And, and you know, he's he has this running battle with, uh, you know, Donald Trump and and. Uh, uh, you know, what a bad organization he set up. So I, I would say there are a lot of similarities. I, you know, I, I think Mark Cuban is is an innovator. He knows how to make money. Uh, he's a philanthropist. I mean, there are a lot of good qualities about Mark, but I don't know that building a strong corporate culture in which to work is one of them. And in that respect, I think he is a lot like Donald Trump, which I think would drive uh, Mark Cuban crazy, but we have seen over these last five to six years, uh, and not just in the basketball operations, about the climate that is in place at, uh, at the Mavericks. And you can't be as involved in every aspect of the organization as Mark likes to tell everybody he is, and then continually distance yourself um, when this dysfunction arises. Uh, you're the one who's setting the tone. So now the question is, um, he says you're going to hire a general manager and the general manager will hire the, hire the coach. 
well, how much voice is the general manager going to have? Because Donnie Nelson, in a lot of ways, was uh, uh, a personnel, a top shelf personnel guy with perks more than he was a general manager in my mind. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, and to your point about because the, there's always comparisons in this market between Jerry and and Mark, and rightfully so because they are big personalities and, yes. and owners who are heavily involved up front but, face but, the franchise. But we but we give the example of uh, when uh, when Jerry wanted to draft Johnny Manziel, Stevens said no. Jerry, we really can't do that, and 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 we know that Jerry wasn't happy about that at the time, but he acquiesced and said okay. He listened to his his people on the inside and said okay, that's what we'll do then. It, let's let's go over to when when Donnie went to Mark and said hey, I want to take this guy from Greece. I want to take Giannis Antetokounmpo. He goes as in his colorful language was I, I'm gonna I'm putting my blank on the table here, and I am saying this is the guy we should take with the 15th pick. Uh, and Mark said, no, I want, I'm, I'm all in on Dwight Howard this year. I don't want to draft a big man. And that's when they ended up taking Shane Larkin instead. So they got Shane Larkin instead of Giannis Antetokounmpo. So in, in that case, when you are the guy making the final call, you are in effect the general manager. That's the thing we've always said about Jerry Jones. I, you know, I, I realize that Will McClay is making all the draft picks, but in, in the end, Jerry Jones is the guy who signs off on these, you know, and so therefore you are the general manager. If you are the guy saying yes or no in the end, then you are the guy in charge. And again, if you're a, um, if you have control or that sort of clout in an organization now, why would you come to the Mavericks and and wonder what the power dynamics are? Uh, I mean, based on what we've seen, you know what the power dynamics are. You would have to give assurances from Mark Cuban that, no, I, I will step out of the way. I'm giving you wide latitude. Now, I think it was easier for Mark to do that with Cynthia Marshall uh, and those issues and stepping back because he really wasn't involved in that day-to-day, but he's still so associated with the product on the court. He's there constantly. Uh, he's not going to divorce himself from that. So I, I think it really limits the search in a lot of ways. And and he can give an assurance that he's going to step back. Uh, but when you're on the club, you, you don't have to keep your word, you know, and, and I think it's pretty hard to fight, uh, you know, your, your nature and, and what's made you successful and gotten you where you are. Why would he change now? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, so, you know, the speculation early on has been that, uh, like Masai Ujiri, uh, the, uh, GM of Toronto would be a favorite for the job, obviously built a, uh, a title team there. He's, uh, he's not under contract or his contract is about to expire. I'm not sure exactly what the details of it are. Um, but the question would be if he had total, uh, control there in Toronto, uh, why wouldn't he either a stay there if everything was uh, amenable to that or everybody was or take one, one of the other jobs that's going to be open uh, this summer someplace else. So I don't know why you if you're a general manager with your choice of places to go, uh, why are you going to pick the Mavericks? I know this is a, a great place uh, to come because of Luka Doncic, obviously very att- attractive to have a, a, a top five player in the league. Uh, That's why you got- would come. I mean, that you don't have to go any further. The, 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 the one overriding selling point would be, you know, you get this top five talent and how many jobs around the league are going to offer you that now. There are all kinds of pitfalls, but here the other thing that Mark Cuban can always make up for w- with any of this is just money whipping somebody if he wants to. 
Um, and for a lot of guys, that will that will provide the solution. But it may not provide the solution. It may provide the solution to finding you a GM. It may not provide you the solution to finding the right GM. I, I, this is something I think that Mark and, and, and Jerry, you know, this is all what has always been, just as you guys said, and always will be. When you're when you're dealing with owners who have absolutely huge egos and who insert themselves into player personnel decisions, it makes GMs who are happy running their own organizations very very um, hesitant about signing on there. You know, you you get somebody in, in these kinds of situations. What you end up with is a John Hart. You end up with somebody who made his bones somewhere and is just looking for a payday um, to kind of to, to hopefully swoop in, get a world championship, and basically add to your legacy. That, that, that I think, is the fundamental concern there. Well, and Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones don't establish a management culture. They're really a cult of personality. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a different it, – it, everything spins off of their personality – and their whims and their desires. And you can't really establish a true management culture in that setting. And, and you never will because of the force of their personalities. That doesn't mean you can't be successful, but you have to recognize where everyone fits. And, and you're right. I mean, Luca is, the, Luca is the counterpoint where if you have questions about working with Mark Cuban, the money Mark is going to throw at you. And it's like, well, yeah, but I have Luca here. Two years, I'm going to hit on the moves that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be good enough where it's going to keep Mark off my back. And That's I'll, I'll be happen. able to convince Mark to listen to me. There's always yes. that. I'll have that grace period. I'll have that honeymoon period. I'll make it work in the short term. I'll get the right coach in here. And then him and I can kind of form a coalition and we'll have some power initially to do what we want. Then if it's, you know, now in that situation, it's going to dissolve more quickly if you don't work, if it doesn't work. So that's, we're going to have to wrap up our uh, Maverick segment here. I just want to say that to put a little capper on is I think that uh, it will end up Michael Finley will probably end up being the general manager because he's been there, uh, done that, and he's interviewed other places. And Mark will feel like uh, if he can't get someone else interested in it, he looks a little hypocritical if uh, if, if uh, Finn is interviewing other places and not getting a shot at his, in the, with the Mavericks. No, Evan, you cannot say anything else. And when, uh, when, all, else, when all else fails – Go the route of hero worship. Michael Finley was popular here. People will like Michael Finley. There you go. Which, okay. which very quickly, and what did Mark Cuban do when he was getting hammered? And uh, the morning news ran a story about uh, the, the dumpster fire, and uh, which, which I believe Mark certainly took exception to. Then suddenly you get the announcement that the most beloved figure in franchise history is coming back to consult uh, and will have a voice in who the next general manager and head coach is. What chapter of the Bring Nolan Ryan back uh, <laughs> book is that? You know, that's just that's so there are parallels general. with all these organizations. And yeah, that's sports in general, but it does seem to be definitely endemic of the Dallas Fort Worth market. So, well, it's impossible to get the, these superstars to come back and work, is my in my experience. But we'll just see. All right. Well, moving along now, we're going over to uh, the uh, a segment we're going to call headlines. We had some big headlines in the last few days uh, here. We had uh, Kevin. Where did you come up with that? That is headlines. That, that's I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really clever. Synced to the point. I'm really clever, and uh, you know, it's just cutting uh, there's, edge. There's no sense sacrificing 
you know, uh, uh, clarity for wit, you know, and, and you guys know that I've read your stuff over the years. So, uh, <laughs> we have neither. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, uh, uh Carl Nassib came out, uh, the other day, uh, announcing that he is gay, the defensive end, uh, for the Raiders, um, who has been a, a very good player in the league. And as the, the groundbreaking aspect of that is that, He's the first active player in the NFL to make this announcement. We've had other players who said after their careers were over or before they ever even had a career, as in the case of Michael Sam, uh, who, who uh, came and was with the Cowboys briefly, but was never an active player, um, that they were uh, they were gay. So this is this was new and this was different, uh, and this is this is good that this uh, this this ground has been broken here. Um, because it, it will, uh, it makes a difference. I think when a when a player who is, uh, had the kind of impact that Nasib has had, it makes this kind of announcement. Well, and, and I, I, I think, you know, we all get caught up in the, in the coming out statement and all of that. And we, we get caught up in, um, what was said and then, you know, oh, we didn't know he was gay and relationships in the locker room and all that. And, Listen, the purpose of this whole thing, as Carl said in his video, is not he's, he's a private person. He's not a kind of guy who wants to go out there and be a spokesman for anything. He hopes that these kinds of Instagram videos will eventually fade away because people will just be comfortable. But his his announcement and, and what so many teams are now doing with Pride Days and things like that are simply to say to people, live your lives. It's okay to be who you are, and we want you to know that there are other people out there who have gone through the same struggles that you have. And I thought it was really significant that at the end of his Instagram video, Carl Nassib announced a $100,000 donation to one of the largest uh, suicide prevention hotline uh, agencies aimed at the LGBTQ uh, teenage community. And that's really what it's about. It's about try. It, it's not about going out there and saying to the world, "I'm gay." It's about going. It, it's about telling people, "Live your life. It's okay to live your life, and there are resources out there for you." Yeah, right. Right or wrong, this the NFL is kind of one of the last bastions of this, isn't it? I mean, professional sports in general, and and I think even pro football on, on the, the farther end of that spectrum. I, I, I mean, Carl, I believe there, there have been 15, 15 players, NFL players, uh, who have acknowledged uh, that they are gay. But, but Carl's the first one to do it while he's still playing. Uh, all the others, like I said, were retired. Uh, or in the case of Michael Sam, never played in the league. Now, if you remember, Michael Sam was seven years ago um, and a very good player at Missouri, wasn't drafted, uh, and people knew he was gay, and the NFL seven years ago was dealing with the issue of, well, how is this going to look? We don't want this statement to come out uh, about us. And the Cowboys, there's, you know, the Cowboys asked him to camp, and uh, he was actually with camp in the Cowboys. And, um, you know, there was a belief that that Dallas kind of helped save the league from itself by inviting him to camp uh, because he was a, a good college player. And, and look, he would have been invited somewhere, even though he wasn't drafted. There were reasons why he wasn't drafted, but, um, but again, it, I think, I think in a lot of ways that had a chilling effect because I think, I think 
a lot of individuals saw the focus that went on Michael Sam and how much everyone was talking about that. And, you know, I know there's some people in the community who believe that had a chilling effect on anyone else wanting to come out in the aftermath of that and dealing with that. And there was a thought was, well, you really need an established player uh, for this to really get the conversation and, and thoughtful conversation. Otherwise, if you're getting a player who is questionable, whether from a skill set standpoint, he would ever make the league, uh, that message uh, that you would hope to have is lost. And, and very quickly, one of those 15 players in the past that did play in the league was uh, Jeff Rohr, uh, Cowboys linebacker here for quite a while. Well, you know, I think in the end, Evan, you you talked about let people live their lives, uh, uh, or people people live their lives. I think the other message is let other people live their lives. You know, uh, we we all talk about personal freedoms, right? Uh, and yet we want to tramp all over somebody else's. Uh, I don't I don't understand that. You know, I I don't understand the uh, the hypocrisy of that to say you got to let me live my life. You know, you got to let me have all these things that I want to have. But if somebody else wants to live their life, oh wait a minute, uh, I don't, I don't want to, I want that to happen. So yeah, it was interesting. I, I engage, you know, the Rangers, are, as, as we reported, the Rangers are the only team in Major League Baseball that doesn't celebrate a, a Pride Night. And in the last road trip, the, the Rangers played on two Pride Nights in uh, in LA and and in Houston. Um, and so it, it made you that much more attentive to everything that was going on around you. And I. I simply again came away from the from both those nights thinking it, it's not it, I, 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 engaging with fans. I got back this. I don't want my kids exposed to sexuality. I don't want my kids exposed to this or that at, at a young age. And I'm like, I, I watched these two games. I watched everything that took place. There was nothing sexual or anything. There are no about sexual it. undertones to it. I, it yeah, it's, it's simply about accepting people. And like in Houston, a gay men's choir sang the national anthem. Um, a, a members of, of the LGBTQ community throughout the um, first pitch. And it was just about honoring people who have done good work in the community. Uh, and and, and I, I just don't understand why I think the Rangers are making a mistake on that front in not courting another fan base that they really could reach out to. I think, I, I think clubs like, like the Rangers who take that kind of approach are simply saying, we just want to protect the, the small fan base we have. We're not interested in growing. All right. Speaking of the Rangers, we had uh, a really disturbing uh, essay that was in the New York Times over the weekend by Cat O'Brien, a former sports writer who worked at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in the early 2000s. Um, and in specifically in 2002, she writes about an incident where she was interviewing a Major League Baseball player. She did not identify him. She did later come out and say that he did not play for the Rangers uh, and that she was interviewing him in a hotel room uh, and he uh, sexually assaulted her um, and that she never told anybody, uh, never told anybody at, at her workplace or or in, in as far as I guess we could tell in baseball at all. And then she that only came out after Jared Porter, the, uh, the New York Mets uh, general manager, former general manager, it came out to light that he had been sending uh, sexually uh, oriented uh, texts to uh, reporters, sport, female sports writers, um, and, uh, and he was fired. And so she decided to come out in support of, of that because she didn't feel like the environment in baseball has changed. Evan, you have been around a lot of baseball clubhouses, and so have I. And I have to say, 
um, and I, I noted this in my newsletter Monday, uh, just on average of all the, the sports dens, uh, that we have available to us, I think baseballs and major league baseballs is the most backwards of them all. Well, I think, you know, one thing is you, you've got more access to the baseball clubhouse. So you see it more often, um, or at least you did prior to the pandemic. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's, there's some degree of backwardness to it. I think that, I think that there has, um, because a lot of this industry is built on relationships. It's all about, you know, who you can talk to, who you can talk to privately. Um, and because of that, uh, and because there's something going on every day, it lends itself to some, some poor behavior. But what, what I have been pleased to see is that there are more and more people bringing this stuff to the forefront and letting us know, what has to change here. I, I just, having been around that beat in 2002 when Kat was was working as a, a backup, really kind of covering high schools um, and, and being around um, a number of women over the last 15 years, starting with Emily Jones, um, it just, it shocks you to hear that these kinds of things happen and nobody has any idea about it. You know, Kat, one thing Kat said the other day was, um, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people saying I'm really brave to, to tell the story. And, and she said, no, I've been brave to live it. And that I, you know, I was brave from the moment I went back to do my job. And, and she was. And um, I can't imagine the pain that she lived with and the shame that she lived with when she blamed herself, um, when she didn't feel like even with a very strong female sports editor, that she was comfortable going to her and telling her story with a strong um, uh, ally in somebody like T.R. Sullivan, who was at the Star-Telegram at that point in time. It's a really overwhelming feeling when you just feel like you, you, you can't turn to anybody and not because anybody's giving you any kind of negative feedback. You just don't want to um, expose yourself to to what may what may happen publicly. And, and we saw it with with some of the comments back on her essay, well, name it or you're lying, this or that. And it, it just shocks me that we're just still in, in, in that level of not believing women when they, when they tell us stories and these kinds of detailed stories about what took place in, in these kinds of situations. Again, not believing. And then early at that stage in her career, it would have defined her. And that is, that would have become her identity. And when you're starting a career, to have that on top of the sexual assault that you have to deal with, it, that has a profound impact on your career going forward. So actually, to have a career, you, you have to you're having to weigh that, and, and it's just it's it, again, it's just the disproportionate power dynamic that's in place that, that just shows structurally. Um, look, we're a misogynistic society anyway. It's it's an even greater extent in sports, male sports, because it is so male predominant and so few female uh, figures are in it, whether reporters, uh, front office uh, management. And uh, it, it just makes it that that's why we're, we're still in the Cro-Magnon stage, I think, a lot in a lot of ways in, in, in this. 
Well, we, we, we got to remember too, so much of this involved that it's just a fanboy experience, you know, that you, you get fans who, who put, uh, their, their stars and their heroes above everything else. It doesn't matter what it is. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe anything like that could possibly happen, uh, until of course it happens to them or someone that they love. Uh, sure. and then they, then they get that lesson. All right. Uh, now we're going to move into our, uh, Rangers segment. Uh, Evan, the, the, this week on Monday, uh, uh, the umpire started uh, inspecting pitchers, uh, between innings. They started with Kyle Gibson, who, who's a, an interesting guy to be inspecting for this sort of thing. And considering that he's a sinker ball pitcher. Uh, so it's, that's not been the issue in baseball the last few years, RPMs, is everything? I feel like I'm covering NASCAR now instead of <laughs> baseball. People keep talking about RPMs all the time, uh, and uh, but do we think I, I, you know? And I've read this over and over, and I have to tell you, I, I, I and maybe it's just because I'm not talking to pitchers. You know, we can't talk to hardly anybody anymore, other than on a Zoom call. Uh, is that I don't really care what these pitchers have to do to make this adjustment. Now, They're, everybody's complaining and say, "Well, baseball should have." Baseball knew about this for years. Guys were applying foreign substances, and they didn't do anything about it. And and that's right. You know, I, I was certainly criticized baseball for that. Just like baseball suspected that PEDs were in place for a long time before it all got out of hand, and baseball did anything about it. And that's another mistake that baseball made. But I really can't say to players and pitchers, "Hey, uh, you know, I I'm really sorry for you that you were using this foreign substance on baseball, and you finally got caught." You know, it's like saying that when a guy's coming out of the bank with the money in his hands and he's running when the cops, it's like, hey, they were letting me steal this money for years and now they're going to arrest me for it. Yeah. You know, I, I really have a hard time with that rationale. Yeah. I, and I mean, I I've always kind of struggled with the idea that, well, I just put a little stuff on there just to improve my grip. Well, yeah, oh, and it's a safety measure. Well, if, yeah. it, if, if the safety, <laughs> safety measures measure. are needed. Listen, if they, I, you're so concerned about the safety of other players that you're not going to throw at their head or their ribs if they show you up on the field, right? Right. Um, and and, and by by definition alone, that statement is is hey, yeah, I use this stuff to in, in, enhance my performance. And baseball never had an issue with it. Baseball, like you said, I mean, it's kind of a good old boys network and and just kind of winking a nod and we'll all police ourselves. You don't worry about us. Um, and it, it, it took major league baseball watching again, teams and pitchers use technology to completely exploit a rule for major league baseball to enforce a rule that's been on the books from the time that pitchers used to spit licorice juice on the baseball. Okay. I mean, that's how far back we go on this. So, um, Listen, I just found the whole thing kind of comical last night. Um, I asked Kyle Gibson after the game, I mean, did you feel like you had been through TSA security? Did you feel like, you know, you had been subject to drug sniffing dogs? And he said, well, it was kind of like walking through with a clear pass at the at the uh, airport. You know, they no line, no weight, no, you know, nothing sticky. Okay, let's go. So, I mean, they didn't even swab his hands with that little thing and put it in the in the computer. <laughs> um I, I, if, if this is what we've got to do to make guys play by the rules that are on the books, and this is what we've got to do to make guys play by uh, rules on the books, and if it looks silly, then I think, you know, we all have fun with it and make fun of that. But that's that's basically what baseball and its its pitchers uh, and, and, and it, the organizations who have, who have uh, 
endorse this practice, you know, all deserve is some degree of ridicule. Well, and the only reason they're doing this, obviously, no one would care because they'd been going on forever, uh, but because the numbers are so terrible, because baseball batting average is the lowest it's been in 50 years. Uh, and so uh, this, you know, I, I gave Theo Epstein all the credit in the world. I think that he is driving a lot of these things that uh, after he left the Cubs and went to work. I, 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 I step back there just a second. I mean, I think that the, the, the sticky ball thing, was very much the brainchild of Chris Young. I think that was something that, as as major as a vice president for Major League Baseball's on field operations, uh, looking into this and, and bringing this to their attention was something that was a passion project for his. Obviously, it didn't pick up real real steam in terms of enforcement until after he left to join the Rangers. But this was very much on the books last year. So anyway, as I, I was going to throw Chris a shout out there, but of course you had to, you know, jump in and butt in. I don't butt in when you're filibustering, but anyway, uh, the, the idea that actually this you gonna, do, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm supposed, <laughs> I'm supposed to be riding herd on you two guys. I don't, I don't do a very good job of that. I'll, I'll be the first <laughs> oh, to admit okay. it. So, so anyway, the, the deal is though, uh, you know, how much impact will this actually have on on what's going on in baseball and the three true outcomes, uh, you know, that we have seen and has made baseball into something much different from what we all uh, have uh, grown up loving about the sport in general. So, you know, we, we've seen the numbers in June uh, prick forward up a little bit. Uh, and, of course, there's a debate on whether that's just affected by the fact that it's warmer now, the ball rises that's going to have some effect of it a little bit, uh, you know, as well. Um, but I would have to think when you look at uh, what uh, the these early indications show, it will have some impact on the offenses. Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, uh, you're, you're going to see more and more teams being unable to use the kind of elevated fastball and wiffle ball um, sliders that, that we've seen over the last couple of years. And, that's why a guy like Gibson um, does stand out because he's more of a sinker slider pitcher than than a than a overpowering arm, and I think that these kinds of guys who throw effective sinkers are going to become again. Not, I don't want to say necessarily the gold standard, but they're going to become more and more valuable over the next couple of years. If you throw an effective sinker and you don't have to, you don't have to try and get guys to 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 miss the ball up high. Um, you're going to have some value. And I do think this is one place that maybe with with what Chris Young was kind of preaching to Major League Baseball and maybe what the Rangers started to see is these could be the potential ramifications if we do do something about sticky ball. Um, they started, I, I feel like they have started to lean more towards sinkers and things like that. And that may that may give them a little bit of a head start on some other teams who were who were kind of behind the times, thinking that this was never going to be enforced. So that's where I I, I think the Rangers stand on it. All right, I do want before we get out of this uh, podcast uh, today, I want us to do talk about uh, at least one uh, really bright development, and and that is the continued uh, play of uh, Adolis Garcia. Uh, he is, you know, I, I know there was some thinking, oh, well, now look at him. He's starting to flame out a little bit. Not, uh, I think he went 17 games without a home run. Uh, I loved it when I, when I saw people saying, well, he's not hitting very many doubles, you know, he's just hitting home runs, not doubles. Yeah. Uh, and so that was why they believed that maybe those 
power numbers were a little bit of a fluke. Uh, I don't I don't think there's much of a fluke about Adolis Garcia that I can see in his game. And, and I and I really think that and, and I think everybody is on board about what a phenomenon he has been. But uh, I think that the thing that uh, just gets passed up here is it's just that the Rangers have been searching for a center fielder for so long that this is a guy who not only plays the position very well, a great arm, uh, he's a really good athlete, and he's a guy who might hit, if he doesn't hit 45 home runs, he might hit 35 or, or, or 30, or if he hit 25. If he hit 25 home runs, that'd be unbelievable for a center fielder. Uh, this has been a phenomenal development this year of this guy. And I, and I know that I was high on Danny Santana. And so I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm about Adolis Garcia's prospects here. But Evan, tell me why you think that, that he is a better prospect than Danny Santana was. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 that's a really good question, actually, Kevin. I, I mean, because if you look at Santana's power numbers, the year that, that he really broke out and, and what he did, uh, a lot of that same kind of stuff holds true for Adolis. I, I guess the thing for uh, on Adolis is I, I do think there is, is more true power there. Um, I think the arm and the um, instincts in center field are a little bit better. Um and, and I guess maybe the other part would be that there was a longer track record of a lack of success in the big leagues for Danny. You know, he had that one good year, and then it was kind of down after that. Um, than there had been for Adolis. There really was no track record whatsoever for Adolis. He hadn't had much of a chance at the big leagues whatsoever. Um, I, I think, listen, I think he's been a fine. I don't think he's going to hit 300. I don't think he's going to hit 40 home runs. But like you said, Kevin, I think one thing that the Rangers can say at this point in time is they can be pretty pretty confident that of the questions that they've had going into this season, a ton of them, that the, the affirmative answers have been, yeah, Dolis Garcia figures in our in our future in some fashion, and so does Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. After that, on the position side, it, it continues to be baffling about where exactly the Rangers go, and it's, it's a big part of why I think this rebuild may take longer than the Rangers anticipated initially. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.